where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films in a film studies type method and methodology that you'll never ever discuss in a film studies course. You'll never find these movies on the syllabus unless you're doing like super, super specialized, I don't know, comedy, horror, mashup franchises with stop motion. I think there's a course on that. Arthur, get on that right away. Um, Arthur is in studio today as our production host, but we need to identify the disembodied voices speaking to you now. We have a guest host today. Uh, Ma'am, if you could introduce yourself. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Kirsten Thurkelson, uh, and the only two things I'm leading is Jack and shit, and Jack left town. Do remember, dear listener, the tea is silent. Moving right along. We're uh, so happy to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> Uh, to my right, sir, if you'd introduce yourself as well. Yo, he bitch. Let's go. <laughs> my name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm so very happy to be with you this evening. My name is Dustin Sells, and all I have to say is Klaatu, Verato, Necktie, maybe, <clears throat> something. And uh, I'm so glad to be talking Army of Darkness uh, with you all today. Starting a new marathon. Yes. Kicking one off. Of sequels. A month of sequels, some of which we've actually discussed on the show, some of which we've never even thought about talking about, so this will be fun. And uh, we are going to avoid spoilers, so you will not discover whether or not Arthur and his Knigets will actually achieve the receipt of the Holy Grail, but we will get more into that further along uh, in our (laughs) analysis. What we want to do to warn you, dear listener, because this is an analysis show, not a review show, is to let you know that we are going to do a quick spoiler-free section in which we do our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, um, which are preceded by a synopsis from the voice of the cinema, and then we will move directly into that analysis when in which those spoilerific spoiler riches will occur, and you will find out that the knights who say knee will say knee to old ladies in the streets. It's very, very sad. So, without any further ado, voice of the cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is that synopsis? A man is accidentally transported to 1300 A.D., where he must battle an army of the dead and retrieve the Necronomicon so he can return home. Did you guys notice that 1300 England looks a lot like New Mexico? It's California. This is like, yeah, Southern yeah. California. Yeah. All Mysteriously. I, yeah. All I know is it takes 1.21 gigawatts of power for him to make it back to the future. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, we will get more into that here in just a little while. <laughs> Everything's been possible since science invented magic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. It's going to be a chucklesome ep- episode, dear listener. We're going to have so much fun with this. Um, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your quick thumbs up, thumbs down review? You know, I still have a lot of love for this movie. Um, I feel like more movies should only be 80 minutes long because he gets to the graveyard to get the Necronomicon and I was like, how far into this movie are we? And I was like, oh God, it's over half over. More movies should move at this good of a clip. Um, There's a lot going on right here. Um, I'll say this. um, The more I've seen this movie, the the older I've gotten. Um, I do have a little less love for it. That is how time works. It's simultaneously worse and more enjoyable, if that makes sense. I, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, though, but I, I mean, I used to love this film, and I still like it a lot. I still, you know, it has a soft spot in my heart, um, but I don't, you know, just enjoy it from top to bottom quite the way I once did. I, I will say that as a showcase for Sam Raimi's, you know, like, particular interests and um, style, I think it's a great entry point into him as a as an auteur. Um, definitely a very specific kind of auteur, which you know is only true of his career once he gets lands the Spider Man franchise. I think other than that, he is very much a cult, uh, vulgar auteur. And I mean, and you see his his very specific proclivities. I mean, he likes violence, but he also likes slapstick comedy. He likes doing fun camera stuff. Um, you know, um, we see a couple of shots of something being hurled through the air, and then we follow it, uh, or rather, we, the viewer, uh, through the camera, follow the projectile in motion, which is something that you see in a lot of uh, Raimi bits. We also, you know, one of the classic things, um, which he started doing in Evil Dead, and is really, I think, in every single one of his films, is the kind of the swooping... Um, the POV. The maybe a POV, but maybe not. Maybe we have the POV of, you know, the force of the Evil Dead, or maybe it's just a cool camera trick. Um, it's a very vague whether or not it's actually a POV, but it's a very swoopy uh, camera shot, you know, chasing through things. I mean, it's in, and it's in all of his movies. I think it's even in the Spider-Man film. So I think it is a very interesting entry. I mean, we have two extended sequences of, you know, ongoing physical comedy, uh, one with the mini ashes and later in the graveyard with the skeletons. Um, and again, I, I think Sam Raimi really, this is really a Three Stooges movie more than it is anything else. Sam Raimi really enjoys physical comedy. Uh, and again, even in the big budget Spider-Man movies he makes, there is a lot of physical comedy. Uh, but again, he is definitely a, a director, I think, that takes the story seriously and is very much engaged in the story he's telling. Um, and I don't think he lets his style, his style is in service to the story. Uh, and that's something that I think makes him interesting. But again, I just don't like this as much as I used to, and I know that's not a popular thing to say. I know this is something that, as a movie nerd, I'm supposed to love unequivocally. Uh, And I like it, warts and all, but I'm not going to act like it doesn't have warts, because it has a lot of them. Uh, The movie, while being, you know, delightfully short, is also, like, is full of sound and fury and signifies nothing. Um, It's just, it's delightful, and it's cute, and it's funny, and then it's over. Um, and Bruce Campbell is the tits and, you know, always will be and always has been. But I mean, you know, I mean, he's Bruce Campbell. He's good about two or three things and, um, you get what you expect from Bruce Campbell. And, um, you know, there's a reason he didn't become a big movie star because I don't know if he can lead a movie. I really don't. If he can lead, you know, a proper film, you know, if, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of fun to be had here. Um, but you know, if you've never seen any of the evil dead films and I've only heard about how fun army of darkness is mitigate your expectations. Um, and honestly, at the end of the day, 
I think Evil Dead 2 is probably better than Army of Darkness, which is not an opinion I used to have. Uh, but that all of that being said, it is still an absolute blast. I give it four Buick Oldsmobiles with a helicopter propeller attached to the front uh, out of a possible seven. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Kirsten Thurkelson. What do you say in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? Uh, first of all, I just want to say that I am currently um, petitioning the Academy of People Who Decide this sort of thing to add a uh, swoopy to uh, the official the official uh, list of, of lingo and jargon that we can use when describing uh, POV shots. Swoopy, swoopy. I no, I I actually have a, a very similar opinion of this of this film to you. Uh, whenever I whenever I first saw it, I thought it was just like the most ridiculous, like crazy. I was so upset that other movies weren't like this movie, um, but I was also. God, I don't even know how old I was. I was decidedly like I was I was probably a child. Probably like it's weird. I like it less, but I think I appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And there's a theory about movies like this, like the kind of so bad that it's good movie that in order to accomplish being a so bad it's good movie, um that someone someone on production has to genuinely like believe in and care about the film. And I definitely see that coming yeah, through. And, and I think this is in that nebulous gray area of people who really care about the film mm-hmm. intentionally making a kind mm-hmm. of schlocky... Mm-hmm. Bad might be a strong word, but not not setting out to make a good movie, if that makes sense. Right. But making a movie they care about nonetheless. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I won't say... I, like, I, 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 still, I do still like this movie. I just... I don't like it as much as I did when I was young and stupid, um, I would probably at the end of the day have to give this movie five spewing medieval blood geysers out of a possible eight. Well, Dustin, what do you think, bud? So, I mean, in terms of my review of Robin Hood men in tights without the music, um, and with more skeletons and with slightly more (laughs) skeletons, uh, I, 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 I watched this movie with my eight year old son who had a blast. I don't know why this movie's rated R. So uh, here, here is my quick review um, all the last week in terms of just stream of consciousness movie references as I was watching the film. God, and, I hope you start doing this every week. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know that I will, but this, this is a week I, I probably can't again. Um, first of all, it's Dawn of the Dead in uh, Target. Then it is um, throwing knights into the pit of Sarlacc. And then it is basically it's, it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, then it turns into Jason the Argonauts for a little while, and uh, give me some sugar baby and hail to the king, and I had a lot of fun. That would be my quick, quick review uh, of the movie. And again, it's just it's fun. I enjoy it. Uh, it makes me laugh still. It is it is what it is. And I guess there is a there is a sort of a grace that I give those sort of films when films are trying towards you know to be the next big thing in horror, the next big thing in comedy. Then fine. But it's not really doing that, and mm-hmm. it, it is just trying to have a lot of fun. I think there's a joyfulness in the in the style, and I it still translates. And uh, that joy I find to be contagious, and uh, you know that which is tied in part to this sort of kinetic frenetic filmmaking style that Raimi employs and I recommend it highly I think it's I think it's lots and lots of fun and so I give it uh I don't know seven and a half deadites on the spikes out of a possible nine it's a lot of fun so thank you for those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, dear listeners. Spoilers ahoy! Uh, we will find out how the chastity belt is unclamped towards the end as we move into our analysis section of the film. I begin with you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What analysis bring you? Well, let's 
talk a little bit about the duality of man or to, to be more gender inclusive, the duality of humankind, because I think that's an interesting place to start. So let's not make any bones about this, um, pun not intended. Um, <laughs> Ashley J. Campbell is a total asshole. Um, he's not a good person. Um, what he is good at is killing deadites. About halfway into the film, um, he is once again infected with the deadites, and instead of lo- having to lob off his hand again, uh, leaving him a W amputee, um, it splits off and becomes Evil Ash. And I think it's kind of interesting because it looks like, you know, we're going to set up this very interesting story uh, about, you know, the duality of good and evil. um, But Ash cuts that conversation very short uh, (laughs) by blowing the guy away with a shotgun blast to the face and saying, good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. Um, So rather than actually engaging in a conversation about the duality of humankind, I think what this film does, uh, rather interestingly and unexpectedly kind of in an enlightened way, shows Ash as this, you know, transrational, transcendental human being who transcends good and evil and is just really good at killing deadites. Uh, This is uh, cribbing a little bit from the writings of the Franciscan monk Richard Rohr, who I'm not going to act like I don't know about him because he had a great interview on Pete Holmes, You Made It Weird. Um... That's how I learn about things sometimes, uh, is podcasts. But Richard Rohr, uh, again, is a Franciscan monk uh, who is very interested in this idea of um, non-duality, you know, this dualistic thinking that we often, you know, find ourselves thinking in these blacks and whites, these good and evils. Um, And what Ash Campbell represents is this third way, after the construction of your identity, and then after the deconstruction of that identity, which is what a lot of, you know, millennials find themselves stuck in is being obsessed with the deconstruction, you have to find the third, you know, the evolution beyond that of reconciling the construction and the deconstruction and finding your way to, you know, this kind of enlightened path, this path of saying, well, I'm just going to take things as it comes, take things as they come, rather, um, and accept the world for what it is and not spend all of my time trying to construct my perceptions around it and not spend all of my time trying to deconstruct what I perceive and rather just accept things as they are. And I think that's what Ash does. He's He's just the guy with the gun. And at the end of the day, that's actually all that is called for him to be. They don't need a hero. They need a guy that can kill the shit out of some zombies. And that's what he does, and he does it very well. Um, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi have both uh, said of the character, uh, Ash Campbell is terrible at literally everything except for fighting deadites, which he is amazing at. Uh, and I would say that that holds up. You know, that, that, that examination of the character holds up throughout all three of these films. Uh, is that he's really only good at fighting the evil dead, and he's not good at anything else. But he is transcended beyond good and evil, because he's an, he's an asshole. Um, but he does, you know, in this film, have a bit of character growth in which he, he puts others before himself, and, and finds a way to do the right thing, you know, despite that. Um, and I, again, I think that's something very interesting about this film, is that it's not a tale of good versus evil, it's a tale of gun versus extermination uh, oddly enough so thanks evil dead um the series uh the franchise but again most specifically thank you army of darkness for presenting us with a character who again not really an anti-hero per se just somebody who has 
transcended to a third way of looking at things for presenting us with a guy that's just the guy with a gun. You know, in that sort of nexus of uh, spiritual thinkers that Dalton's talking about, there is, um, you know, Richard Rohr and Rob Bell and uh, Pete Rollins. Uh, there's this discussion of embracing brokenness that, you know, there's this idea of the fall being serious. That there is sort of this broken part in humanity. And uh, seriously, you know, Ash is a broken human. And uh, what I do like about it is that it embraces part of that brokenness and then uses that brokenness to make a positive difference in the world. I mean, we need less deadites. I would, I would agree. With yeah, I, I, I don't think you can argue with uh, anybody who's pro zombie is not somebody for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm all out. I'm not voting for that guy. So uh, I, I think there's something definitely to what you're saying there, Dalton, and I appreciate it very, very much. Miss Kirsten Thurkelson, what say um, you? The thing that I want to talk about in my analysis uh, is how this movie um, is kind of a love letter to all other movies. Um, okay. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it. It's not that it doesn't know what it is. It's that it is too many things. Um, but I wanted to sort of start out just talking about uh, how I think that Sam Raimi really clearly wanted to make uh, this this particular in the in the trill in the uh, the Evil Dead trilogy um, a hero story. Um, well, I think that's something that really makes this a fun way to start off this marathon of sequels is looking at a sequel that is so far from the first entry in its franchise. Uh, <laughs> there was a guy who I dated in high school who was not aware that this movie was a part of <laughs> was like a, like the third part of of uh, a series of movies. Which is under- we all date dumb people in high school. <laughs> which is which is fair. honestly fair because the second movie remakes the first movie in the first half. And right. then this movie remakes the first two movies in about five minutes. Yes. Which is really funny that instead of just using archival footage, they just go they ahead just and redo it. They just redo it every time. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so there, this, this actually does follow um, somewhat, and then it kind of inverts somewhat the um, Joseph Campbell's idea of the monomyth. Um, okay. Which is, I mean, yes, to kind indeed. of just, yeah, it is pretty much just like, Call to Adventure, um, you have the hero who's in a mundane place, so you have some, what, high school, right? Some high school kid Mm -hmm. uh, working at a grocery store um, who is thrust into unusual circumstances um, in which he's called to greatness. Um, And there is even um, the second part, which is not necessarily uh, necessary, but often happens is the refusal of the call. Mm -hmm. And that is very literally brought about in, in this movie when he says, I don't want anything to do with your stupid book. I just want to go home. It's certainly prominent. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, and then your supernatural aid, which isn't in this case, really very supernatural. Uh, it's, it's his boomstick. It's, uh, which we won't go into the uh, Freudian analyses of that, but (laughs) science is magic. Yeah, right. No, exactly. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, it's 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 got it's definitely got elements of the hero's journey, and then there are some things that are kind of turned on their head. Like uh, he he is the seducer of the woman is another. That's another thing is that it's supposed to be like the woman is temptress mm-hmm. uh, to lead to lead the hero off the path, and it's it's the other way around initially, and then they kind of flip that around when I'm going to call her Miss Honey because that's the only other thing I've ever seen her in. Is Matilda? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Yes. The lady. Yeah. That's not the woman. The woman in this movie is the is Miss Honey from Matilda. Sheila. Yeah. Sheila's Miss Honey. Yes. These are the only two things she's ever been recognizable in. So uh, Ash Ash seduces Mrs. Honey. Yes. Uh, that's sort of that's sort of Sam Raimi's, uh, I think anyway, attempt of sort of making this its own sort of self. I mean, I'm sure that there are elements of it in the overarching trilogy as well, but mm-hmm. that's sort of the self-contained um and then you have the uh the the stream of consciousness film references um you have abbott and costello uh referenced in the whole bruce campbell versus army of darkness Mm -hmm. um that sam raimi has gone on record as saying that was an intentional he he was kind of trying to make fun of the old hollywood um using its actor like its its main actors Mm -hmm. as the uh like in the title literally just having yeah, yeah Abbott Costello exactly. meet Frankenstein exactly yeah. um and that was an intentional reference and it ended up getting sort of dropped from the entire name of the film overall um and then Klaatu Barada Nikto Nikto yeah the day you're stood still <laughs> I was yeah. with the jo- the joke version is the real version yeah um which is so strange like why that phrase that's one of the most famous phrases in sci-fi is from yeah. the day the earth stood still. Yeah. And he just he just picked that and was like, yeah, let's make those the magic words. It's Yeah. It's fun. It is. It's fun. It's fun and it it's has it doesn't care about what you think. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um and then there's the sort of random Gulliver's Travels thing with the yes, the tiny the Bruce Campbells, yeah, knocking knocking large Bruce Campbell down and tying him to the floor, and it doesn't make any sense. But what in this movie's mythos really does, um, or this universe, I guess, in in general, um, it's also doing sort of a Bride of Frankenstein thing, I think, with yeah, the, with the tiny people, with the tiny people. Oh, this is that then. Yes, exactly. This is very definitely that. Um, you have the. Uh, the the entire scene of Ash trying to get the book from the graveyard uh-huh. is just a cartoon. It, it's like it's Sam Raimi's fever dream of trying to bring an old school like Bugs Bunny cartoon to life. Oh my god! Yes, yes. Like there's even like the goofy sound effects and the, the whole the jaw the re- shaking yeah, around, the shaking like your the, face back to its normal shape. Yeah. That it's just like that's just a thing that he wanted to do, and he was like, mm, "Fuck it, I'm gonna do that." <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care if it makes sense or not. Um, but yeah, this this movie, the, I I struggled for a little while too about whether whether those references in like just random tangents mean anything. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think they do. I think they're just there. But I don't mind. Yeah. This well, and movie then there's... is kind of a clusterfuck that doesn't care that it's a clusterfuck, and I'm okay with it. But you're right. I mean, it's just, and it doesn't mean anything, and that's okay. That is that is my analysis of this movie. Sam Raimi wanted to remake the favorite parts of his favorite movies, and he doesn't care what you think. I, I love that very delightful formalist reading. Thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> Well, Dustin, let's let's kick it over to you. What, what do you bring for analysis to this film? Well, I'm on record saying before that horror is the most conservative genre. Several times. Um, theologically speaking. And uh, this film is no exception. But it also managed to make some very interesting sort of theological critiques as well. 
And, uh, of course, in, in horror, the formula is, especially when we're dealing with sort of gods and demons and supernatural things, is uh, there's usually a cynical, non-believer sort of person who has to go ahead and be convinced of the existence of of these supernatural things. And, and I think Ash's journey is specifically that, you know, that the, reading the Latin is, is not a good idea. It's and, where I draw the line in the fucking sand. Do not read the Latin. And of course that sets everything in motion, you know, all the way back in film one. And uh, he goes through this process of, um, you know, giving himself over to the story. And as he's there uh, and being, you know, invited onto the quest and rejecting the initial call uh, following Joseph Campbell, uh, it is that he must go ahead and uh, submit himself to the magic of the words and sort of you know religion at its worst when it becomes nothing but magic. And this, uh, this happens so many times in films, and it's not necessary that it would happen in, in this way. There are films that sort of reject uh, that sort of supernaturalist uh, reading. Uh, the greatest example is another horror comedy, Ghostbusters, in which uh, we have our exorcists who are basically exterminators, and when they finally face Gozer, they don't have to find the book of Gozer and somehow say the words or find some superior god to Gozer. and Just shoot, shoot that biatch with science. Yeah, just figure out another way, and then they do the thing another way. In this film, uh, he has to get the words right. Again, it's religion as magic. Uh, you can have... I, can Go I, ahead. Can I... Go right ahead. Why... Are these nonsense words for a Latin book to get rid of Sumerian demons? That's all. That's it. You know, absolutely. That's yeah. It. yeah. There's, a, there's no. some incoherence there, no doubt. The Necronomicon Ex Mortis filled Just. with Sumerian. The Latin book filled with Sumerian and Sumerian demons. And you must say, you know, Latin versions of sci-fi references. I don't know. It's it's very bizarre. But you know, wonky and I don't and it doesn't want to make sense in that way. As Kirsten pointed out. But you know, clearly Ash has to say the words right, otherwise the dead rise again from the grave, uh a la Ernie Hudson. And uh, <laughs> and and then when he fails to say the words again when he goes back to Smart, uh we see the demons again rising from the grave. And I and I find uh, again that this is sort of a, a caving to sort of a religious conservatism that you have to know the text, know the words and uh, utter them, but it's also critiquing it as magic that it is sort of ridiculous that you must memorize the scriptures in some way and then by you by uttering certain phraseologies that you somehow now have magical powers. It turns you into Harry Potter instead of some sort of mystic and again, I think these are things Richard Rohr uh, mentioned earlier in the show would have a great problem with. It seems to me that um, it does sort of depict religion at its worst. It seems, on the other side, that there are other approaches to uh, primary texts, to uh, sacred texts that are more helpful. If we considered, you know, and I'll use an example of the Christian Bible since it's something I know a little bit more about. Uh, if we considered it as uh, something more like a five-act play with uh, the fifth act only having the first couple scenes and the last couple scenes with the book of Acts and the book of Revelation as sort of bookends, and we don't have the 21st century in there. And what we then have to do if we find a five-act play of Shakespeare buried up in somebody's basement or in somebody's attic, you'd have to improvise those bits because you cannot not act out the play. And But those are all improvisations that are trying to be faithful to the script, Chers. And in that case, uh, all right, puns are us. Uh, shop smart, shop S smart uh, with your punning. And uh, what we find then is something that's a lot more loosely held and something that is not so confining 
that is not such a fetter and a constriction uh, towards living real life. Because I think that really is the problem. Bruce Campbell, those words don't fit in his mouth to just say them as magic. And I think sometimes religion does exactly that, is to force a person to put words in their mouth that don't really fit. Instead of seeing, okay, there are words that proceed and there are words that follow, and we need to find some way in the middle, but we say it in our own vernacular, which is Christianity and all religion at its best. And so I find that critique of religion uh, to be quite interesting in uh, Army of Darkness, and I find that general conservatism uh, still is at work there, and part of what Raimi's wisdom and what his wit is, is that he totally sells himself to that sort of um, conventionalized, traditionalized, conservatized set of tropes of religion in horror, but then goes ahead and uses them in a way to critique it, and uh, I think that critique is valuable and helpful and uh, worthy of conversation. Uh, there you go, dear listener. Um, thank you so much for all of uh, those analyses, dear co-hosts. We now come to the time in the show where we make a verdict and we render our uh, decision whether this goes in the shelf or on the trash, perhaps in the strange spike pit of Starlack, and uh, <laughs> what else to do uh, with the film as far as our recommended pairings or insteads. I start with you. Mr. Donald Stewart, what say you? Shelf or trash? Elsewhere instead. Well, I don't necessarily want to throw it in the great pit of Carcoon. Um, <laughs> but, man, you don't need this on your shelf. Uh, when we decided to do this movie and I realized I didn't own it, I was kind of like, oh, man, I, I, I should own this movie. Uh, now that I watched it, I'm really glad I didn't buy this movie uh, just to watch it for this show. Um, I, put it on your friend's shelf. I mean, it's not streaming anywhere right now. It was streaming on Netflix for a good long while. It's not currently streaming anywhere. I say, you know, I'm going to do that cop-out. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely more fun if you're watching with friends. I mean, it's okay to watch by yourself, but, you know, I got a little bored. I checked out, played on my phone for a little bit because I've seen this movie like a dozen times. I mean, I've seen this movie several, several times. Um, But again, eh, this is an essential ownership. You don't have to have this movie. Um, But, you know, you probably already know whether or not you like this film. Um, if you're listening to a film podcast, you're probably aware of Army of Darkness and know whether or not you want to see it or whether or not you like it. Um, so, you know, I'm going to leave this up to you, listener. Do what you will. Uh, but, you know, other things you should check out. Um, you should check out Sam Raimi's probably most underrated film, I think, and that is The Quick and the Dead, which is probably the best Western from the 90s, uh, right up there with Tombstone. I mean, The Quick and the Dead is amazing. A lot of Sam Raimi's signature stylistic touches can be seen here, including some of the slapstick comedy and the gunfights, um, you know, some of those swoopy shots we talked about. And also, Spotted Horse cannot be killed by a bullet. No, he cannot. And that's just fantastic. That's so good. Yeah, I'm glad you remember that. And then um, I'm also going to recommend a a film that's come up on this show several times, and I don't know how or why, but somehow it keeps coming up, and that is the 2013 Evil Dead remake. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to see the Evil... Again, you should watch all of the Army of Darkness trilogy. I think that's going to go without saying throughout this month of sequels. Um, You should watch the other films in those franchises. Uh, But really, if you want to see the movie that Sam Raimi made turned up to 11 and made even meaner because the first evil dead is not that funny. It's mostly funny due to budgetary constraints. Watch the 2013 evil dead. Cause it is brutal. It is excruciating. It is an endurance test for the senses. Every bodily fluid you can imagine, uh, them putting in a major blockbuster release makes an appearance. It is disgusting and it is 
kind of delightful. So yeah, go check out go check out some uh, unknown Raimi and go check out that crazy ass Evil Dead remake. So Miss Kirsten Thurgelson, what say you? Shelver trash, else or instead? Honestly, I thought this was on my shelf, and I found out today that it's not. <laughs> we had to uh, we had to sort of randomly break a law or two, um, and uh, to in order to get that available. Um, oops. Oh well. Honestly. I think that shelf or trash kind of depends on who you are. Do you consider yourself a fan of cult cinema or not? Or if it's really not your thing, I honestly, if, it, if, if you are not a fan of cult cinema, you probably don't even need to watch this movie. And I feel weird about saying that, but I think that it's true because it's not like, I mean, it is, it's a lot of fun, but it's not a movie that's really necessary to watch. It's kind of a fever dream. Um, that being said, I really like it. I kind of wish that it was on my shelf. Um, and if I ever find it, I will probably buy it. So there is a really sweet, um, like rubberized Necronomicon version of it. That's Ooh. the cover, which is really fun to have. Ooh, I think. Yeah. Interesting. That's see. And that's, I, I would go big or go home. I don't want it. Like, I don't want like dollar bin, dollar bin army of darkness i I, that's the one i want (laughs) um so i would say conditional shelf how about that um else i would recommend one of raimi's sort of lesser watched but definitely spiritually in the same vein as this movie which is drag me to hell how is that i've always wanted to get around to seeing it i never have i Really like it. It's ridiculous. Um, it's a lot less frenetic than this movie. Um, I say definitely watch that movie. Especially if, you, if you've if you ever been a fan of Army of Darkness or just sort of Sam Raimi in general. I'd Absolutely. say see that movie. I've heard good things. I, I liked it a lot. Um, I've heard some very interesting readings of it as well. Just just see that movie. It's a good okay. movie. Um, and it does a lot of the good swoopy things too because it's Sam Raimi and because no one told, Sammy, told Sam Raimi what he could or couldn't do with that movie. So, um, definitely see that one. Uh, and also in keeping with the, uh, the, this is, this is such a cop out of a, of an else, but in keeping with the whole hero's journey and everything, watch a better hero's journey and just go watch Star Wars. Totally yes. fair. Just go watch all of Star Wars. Thank you very much, Ms. Thurgelson. Um, uh, what I would say, I'm gonna go ahead and say shelf. Uh, I think this is a movie that you want to periodically revisit. And uh, it's a movie that you do want to watch every now and again. Yes, it does not always hold up. And yes, there are times in which you see its flaws more so than others. But it is a film that's worth having to watch uh, over pizza with uh, a lot of friends in the room. And it's definitely – and that and cheese pizza looks something like the Necronomicon. And uh, (laughs) there's something odd there in Freddy Krueger's face. (laughs) There's some some, some odd nexus of a Venn diagram there uh, of what those things are. But – what I would say is, uh, for my recommendations, are the triple bill, perhaps, that you would watch uh, as you watched Evil Dead with all those friends in your home. And I would combine it with Robin Hood Men in Tights and with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and I, with Monty Python being the last film you watch. It's solid. 
And so those are my recommends. Well, dear listener, thank you so much for listening so far into the show. And we now come to a point in the show where we give you a chance to give feedback via those magical means that we all know as social media. Of course, you can follow us at Facebook, which is at facebook.com forward slash good trash genrecast. We'd love to see your feedback there. We'd love to see your feedback on iTunes and Stitcher Internet Radio. And there is probably yet one other means of social media by which uh, you might have a conversation. And Dalton might know a thing or two about that. All right, Dustin, listen up. This is my Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from that Twitter? We do have a little bit. Um, We have a new follower in the form of Travis. That is at RavenTK2000. Uh... I'm going to read you Travis's last tweet. Hashtag free Amir now. I'm sick of this government not caring about our military. His avatar is an egg. So I don't know why Travis is following us, but he is. So, so thanks, I guess. Uh, Brigham Cole tweeted us a link to a news story. Uh, development work on AMC's uh, adaptation of the comic book Preacher continues with Dominic Cooper officially being cast as the lead Jesse Custer. Uh, Dominic Cooper has been great in a whole lot of things, um, so I'm curious to see how that works out. I've got a lot of love uh, for the the series Preacher. Um, If you're into comics, you should check it out. Um, It's one of the craziest things that's ever been released, and and Garth Enos is just a crazy evil genius. Um, So I'm I'm interested in how this gets adapted into a television show, especially one that's going to be on basic cable. I don't really know how that's going to work out, but I'm curious to see. Uh, Caleb Vesley tweeted at us and literally just said, it follows. I'm assuming he saw the film and is suggesting it, but I don't know that for sure. Hey, Vesley, I know we told you to tweet in, but if you're going to do so, do it with something constructive. Suck it, Vesley. That is all the feedback we have coming in. Um, We do have a lot of tweets and retweets of our last episode. We unfortunately had to take a bit of a a long hiatus uh, in the middle of April. But um, we glad we hope you enjoyed that month of potpourri. Uh, we needed some time off, um, so that's that's how that happened. Uh, we're glad to be back on your regu- regularly scheduled programming, dear listener. Though, please keep that feedback coming in. We love it oh so much. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, enough of this foolishness, guys. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Recently released in the interwebs and the news sources of all things pop culture, uh, Evil Dead, Ash vs. Evil Dead is going to be made as a television series. And so this week's game is films or franchises that we'd like to see rebooted or continued as a television series. That's right, films and or franchises we'd like to see rebooted and or continued as television series. Brought to you by Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. Shop smart. Shop Smot. There you go. So what are your picks, Miss Kirsten Thurkelson? I would really, I, this is just, I don't know, maybe this is just me. This is just kind of like a void that's in my heart that I really would like to see. Um, I kind of just want to see, like, I kind of want to see Tarantino make any television series just at all. Just any, anything. The Django Unchained version of Gunsmoke. <laughs> yes, please. Just Fox Force 5. Specific. Oh, my God. Yes. Wow. That's, the, that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, Fox that, Force I want, 5. I want Fox Force 5 to actually exist. Yeah. 
That is the only thing I've ever wanted. Um, also, I want to see Buffy the Vampire Slayer from a movie to a TV series back to a movie. Eh? Back to a TV series. Back to a TV series. It's a circle of Just life. Just eternally back and forth. Thank you very much, Miss Thurkelson. Mr. Dolan Stewart, what are your picks? I want to I wanna pitch you guys a show. <laughs> Would you? A show about a man who wanders the desert as a lone traveler. And he goes from town to town... He solves problems. No, I'm not talking about David Carradine and Kung Fu. I'm talking about Mad Max Ratansky going around post-apocalyptic Australia. You know, uh, I was thinking about this game and remembered a couple of weeks ago. For this game, I really wanted to think of something... Um, we almost did this for Daredevil uh, when, when we review, reviewed and discussed Daredevil on the show. Uh, and I, I feel like, you know, when I'm thinking about something I want continued or rebooted, I'm thinking about things that never really got their due. And I feel like Army of Darkness is one of those things. And I feel like Daredevil is one of those things. And that's why I'm so glad, you know, it got picked up to be a Netflix series. Um, so I was thinking about other films we've discussed. And I thought about Nightbreed, which is a really flawed film. Uh, that has you know a lot of promise around the edges, which is rumored to work in TV. Um, there there's some there's some work working on that right really? now. Really, I believe. See, so. I did not know that at all, and I think that's a story that is very conducive to that weekly format. That I, I think there's something there. You know, the, the continuing adventures of of the Nightbreed and seeing what they're up to. I think I think there could be something fun there. Um, I also really just want to see Seven, the television show, which is Morgan Freeman just solving murders. Uh, <laughs> Preferably like a long form, like one mystery a season type deal. You um, would pick a Fincher. Of course I would. What am I going to do? Not talk about that? Um, I really struggled not to make this game just my favorite movies. I, I was like, Matrix the TV series. Terminator the TV series. Oh, wait, that was already a thing. So I guess I could go watch that. Um, but that was something I struggled with, was not just picking things I love. I really wanted to see things that, you know, struggled as a film and, and I think could could benefit from that continued experience um dustin what are your picks i mean what, where did you go when thinking about this was that something you thought about not night breed in particular but no. i mean fil- films that you don't you know feel like didn't really get their due but showed promise well i don't know my first pick is something that i have suggested before um and that's pacific rim the uh clone wars version anime uh, sort of cartoon, yeah. Uh, television series. I would love, yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. g- give me that now. Give yeah. me that immediately. Yeah. Um, I think that would be lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun uh, because I, I do want to live in that world and I sort of want to see more of those uh, robots fighting monsters. I mean, who doesn't? And I think it, it would definitely be conducive to the sort of schlocky, um, serialized uh, Buck Rogers in the 21st century. Uh, version Absolutely. Of, of the Clone Wars, and so that that's my really my first and primary pick. Then the, the next selection I would have, I'd like to see the Green Mile, the TV series, which is go on. I mean, it's it's Death Row inmates, but with this like supernatural component that's tied into it, and so we have more stories than just the John Coffee character. Okay, Stephen King writing on this particular series, I think, would be lots and lots of fun, and uh, it would be sort of a more of an anthology than anything. 
and each okay. one was sort of standalone. And there might be some, you know, sort of meta arc about the haunted nature of the Green Mile, but whatever on that. And I think that would be very, very fun time. I think, you know, Stephen King is a is a writer that a lot of his work would be conducive to an anthologized television series. Uh, just thinking about, you know, the recent Fargo series. Um, I, I feel like a lot of the Coen's brother, Coen Brothers films, um, you could serialize into, you know, like a, a universe similar to that film. I think The Big Lebowski... Yes, please. I mean, would work as a television show. I mean, again, not necessarily following the dude, but following that kind of that weird heightened Southern California reality. Similarly, like, you know, Fargo isn't a continuation of the story in the film Fargo. It's just that heightened, weird Coen Brothers reality of, you know, the northwestern uh, or north central part of the United States. So I think there's a lot of uh, creative peoples out there who, who make works that is conducive to being, you know, further explored. But I would be really interested in that Green Mile TV show. That's that's weird, and I like it. Can we have Jurassic Park, the TV show, where nothing goes wrong, and it's just kids, <laughs> it's just kids hanging out in a theme park? Where the pirates never eat the tourists. <laughs> oh, my God. I want this right now. Starring Burt Macklin, Raptor Detective. <laughs> just a Jurassic Park that goes off without a hitch. I love it. I want that today. Well, there you go. That's what Jurassic World's about, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our picks. We'd love to hear yours. You can give those, us that feedback via those means of social media previously mentioned here on the show. We now conclude the show, as we always do, with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Thurkelson, are you fired up this week in pop culture? Uh, I'm so on fire. There's not even enough time for me to talk about everything. Speaking of things that uh, got... Well, here's the thing, is that X-Files didn't even really like not get its due. Like It went on for a hot minute, and there were three movies, and yet we're still just, talking just about bringing it back. Are just, there only two? Th- there's just the two. Uh, are you sure? Positive. All right. Well, I definitely saw both of them. <laughs> one, one was definitely better than the other. Um... I'm really, really, really excited that it's coming back, even though I know that it really doesn't need to, and that it's kind of one of those series returns that no one really asked for, as far as I can tell. But I still want to see it, and I'm still super pumped that they got both of the original actors in on it. Um, Super pumped about all of the amazing summer blockbusters that are coming out. I don't even need to, like, list. I am very uh, excited about, there is this festival that happens in Tulsa called Center of the Universe, and you can laugh at me all you want, but I just found out that Panic at the Disco is headlining, and I'm very excited oh, because nice. I permanently lived 10 years ago, and didn't they you are just, still one of my favorite bands. Didn't you see them recently? Yeah, I saw them at the Zoo Amp. Shut up. <laughs> okay. They're good. Shut up. I don't want to talk about it. Um, oh, Another thing that's happening in Tulsa that I am super duper excited about that I just found out who is going to be there is Tulsa Wizard World, um, which is a large touring uh, Comic-Con, and I am going to meet Mr. Uh, Captain Reynolds himself, ah! Nathan Fillion, yeah. and nice. I am so fired up about that. That's it. That's, I'm just super duper excited about meeting uh, Captain Hammer. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Miss Thurkelson. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week? I am, yeah. Um, so Ex Machina is a film um, from 
uh, Alex Garland, I think is his name. He he wrote uh, Sunshine and 28 Days Later. Uh, this is his directorial debut. Um, for those of you who don't know about it, um, Oscar Isaac, who is one of my just favorite actors working right now, is this, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, genius software developer type who invites one of his employees, played by uh, the immaculate Brendan Gleeson's son, uh, Domino Gleeson, uh, out to his, like, weird mansion in the mountains to basically do a Turing test with an android uh, that he has created. Um, the android also just happens to be super hot. So, yeah. Uh, it just got expanded into wide release this weekend. It is now here in Oklahoma, and I'm super excited. I'm probably going to see it tomorrow, actually. Um, I'm really looking... I've heard nothing but good things about this, and I saw the first trailer, like, six months ago and kind of forgot about it. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um the last thing I'm fired up about this week is this weekend I uh, went down to Dallas to uh, one of the Alamo Draft House locations in Dallas and saw Roar, uh, which is a film that uh, Draft House films. Those of you who don't know, the Alamo Draft House is this great theater chain, very small but very committed to just the ultimate you know movie nerd film going experience. But they also do some film distribution. Uh, a lot of it. Uh, centering around finding really small independent films and a lot of it uh, around finding weird film oddities and re-releasing them. This film was written and directed by Noel Marshall, uh, who is one of the producers of The Exorcist. Um, Him and his wife, Tippi Hedren, uh, who is very famous for having been in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Uh, I think she was the star of that film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So they got really into big cat conservation. And Noel Marshall wanted to make like a, a kind of weird family movie uh, about a family that lives with jungle cats. And he brought this idea to a bunch of, you know, animal wranglers in Hollywood. And they're all like, you're crazy. Uh, if you put that many lions who weren't raised together in the same room, they're going to kill everyone, including each other. Um, so instead of just letting well enough be alone, him and Tippi Hedren started adopting big cats uh, from circuses and from animal control centers and from zoos. Um, and just started hoarding all of these uh, tigers and lions and bears, oh my, uh, and raised them together with their children, one of which was Tippi Hedren's daughter from a previous marriage, uh, Melanie Griffin, um, and Noel Marshall's two sons. And Noel Marshall decided he would finance it himself. He got some financing that quickly went away, uh, because when they started shooting this movie, he said, well, I'll just, me and my family will star in it, because we spent all these time around these big cats. We're the only ones that know how to do it. Um and the tagline that Alamo Drafthouse has released this film with is, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. Over 70 cast and crew members were. One of which was the man that would go on to direct uh, Twister and Speed, who was the director of photography on this film, and got scalped by a damn lion, people. Scalped. He had to get 2,240 stitches to reattach his scalp to his head because a lion tore it off. He means 240, not 2,240. Yeah, sorry. 240 stitches. That would be ridiculous. Um, and it's it's just this crazy... Um, one critic described it as watching a live-action version of The Lion King while Mufasa holds a switchblade to your throat. Uh, and that's pretty accurate. This movie is so stressful and just so weird. It's an experience. Words like good and bad don't begin to quantify it because it is just so strange. This movie's just insane, and if you have the chance to see it, I highly recommend you do. Uh, and that's what I'm fired up about this week in popular culture, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Dolenstort. I only have one thing about which I am fired up. There was a screening of Phil Solomon's American Falls and a couple of other shorts from him at the Oklahoma City Museum of Art, and I got a chance to catch that. And 
I was amazed by American Falls. Now, a little background and history of the film. I guess the first thing I would say is this. It is uh, snippets of archival footage from World War II, uh, from uh, the Kennedy funeral. It is, again, sort of American history being told. Also, snippets of, you know, say King Kong and Birth of a Nation and other films. There's a little bit of There Will Be Blood that's cut in. But it, what he did with the film is he processed it through a, a chemical bath of some sort and gave it this very, very bronzy gold sort of imagery. If you're familiar with the uh, the the inlaid statue at the end of the film Glory at the Robert um, Gould uh, exhibit where it's sort of got this gold tone and it's definitely three-dimensional even though it's sort of more of a 2D sort of work. The film feels like that. And uh, again, huh. uh, much of uh, uh, Niagara Falls is also being depicted and it's sort of this quick soiree through American history in about 56 minutes. And it is moving and amazing. Uh, there's no dialogue whatsoever. There is quite a bit of sound on top of the film. And I, I really, I've seen a lot of avant-garde film over the course of the last semester because I'm taking a course at it in Oklahoma State. And uh, this movie absolutely blew my hair out. It is, it is so fun. It is, it is it's just really, really amazing. Now, Solomon initially was commissioned to make this, and this was filmed at the Rotunda, uh, or rather projected at the Rotunda and other places in uh, the gallery uh, around uh, Washington, D.C., and it was a, sort of a, a triptych. It had three different screens that were projected, and what we've done is a single-channel version of it that I got to see, so I got to see all three screens. But at the Rotunda, it was in full surround around you. You would actually be in the rotunda while all these images would be going on around you and this music and sound would be playing. Oh, wow. And it is... It, it, it's amazing. I really cannot tell you just how amazing this is. I don't know about its availability. I think it's very, very limited. There's, it's not available digitally at this point. It's only available on 16mm celluloid, uh, which is the, the format in which I saw it. And uh, well, no, I, I, I take that back. I think the the, the single-channel version is now com- copied over to digital, so maybe there'll be some distribution for it in the future. And that's uh, American Falls or America Falls? American Falls. Uh, Phil Solomon, as I got to talk with him and converse with him after the film, is a really beautiful person, and uh, just it's a really, really uh, great film and a great experience. And I don't ordinarily recommend the sort of snooty, high-intellectual stuff uh, real often on the show, but man... This is worth your time no matter where you're at in your sort of film watching. It's just, it is an experience to behold. It's like you need to watch Unchan Endalu with the razor blade eyeball stuff, even if you're not into that, because you just need to. You need to see Ziga Vertov's uh, Man with a Movie Camera, even if you're not into Soviet montage. This is the third film in that list of three of just movies you got to see. And uh, it's, it's great, and I could not recommend it more highly. All right, listener, thank you so much for tuning in once again, as you always do. We love having you. Um, We're going to kick off a new marathon. As we said, this is going to be a month of sequels, uh, and next week's film is kind of a sequel. Um, It's the last in the Coronetto trilogy, which, again, is a series of spiritual sequels to one another. So this is Edgar Wright's last film in the Coronetto trilogy, World's End, starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, among a plethora of other wonderful English actors. That's right. We're completionists. We've already done the first two films, and so we've got to finish out the set. And so, dear listener, take a look at that. Take a look at any of our recommendations so far. Take a look at Evil Dead and have a conversation, because that's really what makes the movies fun. And until then, we'll see you next time. Groovy. Dope.
your hallelujah. Girl, I'll sit your hallelujah. Cause Uptown Funk don't give it to you. Cause Uptown Funk don't give it to you. Cause Uptown Funk don't give it to you. Saturday night and we in the spot. Don't believe me, just watch. Just why? 